everybody. Welcome to the Art of Surrender. And I'm here today with Luke Dacre from Kaizen Lab, one of my training partners. Luke, welcome. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll kick things off. Thanks, Brad. Nice to be here and honored to be on your podcast, um, especially one of the early episodes before it blows up and becomes a massive success. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm Luke from, um, from Perth and I train at Kaizen Lab and I also teach one class a week on the fundamentals class. And I've been training for about six years now, so I'm in my seventh year of training. Um, and yeah, I'm loving it. 33 years old, so I started when I was 26, and uh, yeah. Just jiu-jitsu at the moment? Just, just jiu-jitsu. Um, but I'm looking at doing you know, strength and conditioning. I haven't done any boxing or Muay Thai or anything like that. It just doesn't interest me, Yeah. the striking. Fair enough. Or gotta avoid those concussions. Yeah, PT. <laughs> Some of us, yeah. Um, so outside of jiu-jitsu, what do you do? I, for a career, do um, IT, so system administrator. Yeah. Um, which basically means that I'm keeping servers online for a corporate um, company that's worldwide, and I look after basically all the infrastructure in Australia and New oh. Zealand. Yeah. There you go. Um, so let's let's sort of backtrack a little bit um, I know where you're at now with training and who you are um, so where martial arts for you where did the interest first come about and when did you start so I'd say martial arts um, for me the interest in it is probably not the same as a, what most people would find you know with the traditional style of it like they look at Bruce Lee fighting and they want to get into the Wing Chun and all that kind of stuff whereas I look at it as like um, hyper competitive, mm. and it and combat sports in, in itself seems to be the the only thing that um, you know it's very natural. There's no ball that you're throwing around. It's just body on body. Um, and my f first introduction to martial arts, apart from the movies like Jean Claude Van Damme, I think every '90s kid grew up with action movies like that. Yeah. Um, was probably the UFC number one. Okay. Um, my father, he got some, he got the tapes, UFC one through to six on VHS, and um, he brought them home. And we watched the first one, and as soon as you see that sumo guy, um, you know, going and try and tackle the kickboxer guy, I forget the names, but basically, <laughs> sumo guy got uh, head kicked in the face and a tooth went flying off into the crowd. Okay. I was hooked. Like, yeah. my, jaw, my jaw was on the floor. And I was watching that and I was like, oh my God, this is insane. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised my dad let us continue watching it because I was like 10 years old at the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that was, I, I watched that tournament and Hoist Gracie, you know, won it. And yeah. that was my first introduction to jujitsu. And I thought, you know, that's pretty cool. I had no idea what I was looking at. Um, and I had no context to what was happening. But it was like, you know, seeing someone smaller beating up everyone like the muscled up steroid guys mm. um yeah it was pretty inspiring really but after watching those six tapes then i saw like nothing else of it. i didn't think about it ever again yeah um until about 2007 and a co-worker um said oh have you been watching the ultimate fighter there's this show where you have like ufc fighters while well, they're fighting like they're fighting each other in a house to get into the ufc and i was just like oh, no, nah, but I've heard of the UFC, you know, like I watched it when I was a kid. Mm. And he's like, oh, watch this show. So, you know, he did the pirate thing and get a few episodes 
And um, the first season that I watched was the UK versus US season, and I was hooked at the end of that. It's like Dan Henderson and Michael Bisping. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as I was watching that, I basically watched every UFC pay-per-view from that point on. Yeah, okay. Um, and then I, I, ever since I started watching, I'm like, I, I think I can do that. Yeah. And I wanted to go train and, um, you know, finances at the time and I couldn't train yet, but I, um, I built a house down in Baldivis near Rockingham. Okay. And my local gym down there was the only one at the time was the Arena MMA. Okay. Um, and that's basically the first gym I walked into and that's where I got my start. So it's that, yeah, it's that little, that little seed that gets planted. Yeah. And you don't, might not act on it immediately, but it's kind of there. And then later, later on when things come together. Yeah, it was probably about a year um, between first starting to watch the UFC, like every card, yeah. and getting into mixed martial arts and then going into the gym. Um, I probably would have started a week later, but had to save up for a holiday, was paying for a mortgage on a house, and you know I couldn't really afford the, the monthly fees yeah. at the time. But yeah, I walked in at the Arena MMA and did my first consult um, with someone. So basically before you sign up, they would you know, put you through some positions and things like that. Just you and one of the, um, not the head coach, but one of the other coaches is like, shows you what mount is and what an, uh, an Americana is and you do it. And I did it with one other guy. And basically at the end of that, he's like, you want to sign off? And I was like, yeah, put me in. I didn't even have to watch a, like a proper class. I was just like, I just want to do it. Yeah. I, I was very similar for me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, at least the entry class anyway. Um, so you, so you were training near Baldivis? Yeah, so um, down in Baldivis, um, the next, the main city down there, Rockingham, yeah. um, and, and there was an MMA gym down there. Yeah. Um, and actually, I, yeah, when I, when I started there, it was right at the tail end of 2012, actually. So I'd been watching UFC for a little while um, before I walked in there. Okay, and how, so how long did you end up training there for before you moved over to Kaizen? Because obviously, I don't know... Um, really anything about your jiu-jitsu prior to meeting you at Kaizen a year ago? Sure. Um, so basically my whole white belt um, journey was down at the Arena MMA mm. in Rockingham. And uh, that was under Coach Taff Davies um, and Jamie Morrison. They were both the black belts at that gym. Um, and I did four years there. Um, and basically right before I left, I got my blue belt which I felt a little bit guilty about because there'd been a few students that had gotten their blues and then left right? Um, and gone to other places and things like that. Um, but I was always going to be moving anyway. Mm. Um, it just so happened to be right after I got my blue belt. Uh, moving moving gyms or moving moving houses? <laughs> moving, moving house, basically. Like, cause, and, and because I moved to the city, I moved up to Perth um, yeah. from that area, it meant I couldn't go down and train there anymore. Yeah, yeah, it just yeah. wasn't viable viable yeah, yeah. even you work in west perth so yeah and i worked in west perth i was like i was working and living five minutes apart and and that's when i saw kaizen looked it up and saw her there so i thought you know my old coach jamie morrison one of the black belts at the arena mma his friends with brandon chin head coach at kaizen and i saw that jamie had gone there and trained a couple of times so i thought oh if he likes it um I'm going to go down and check it out. Yeah. And back then when I first started with Brandon, um, it was basically a ballet studio. And at the start of every class, we had to go into um, one of the side rooms and pull out the mats and roll them down and wow. put them away at the end of every class. And there's probably about 15 people yeah, in each wow. class. Yeah. 
which mean which means how far we've come, right? Yeah, it's crazy. How that, much was that the wrong? same um, academy that I first came at on the next, you know, no. just up the street? It was um, further up the street, so it was closer to um, the Rosemount Hotel. Okay. Um, a little bit further up from there, but it was basically like a little dance studio. Um, you you come and there'd be like girls on the top floor doing ball- ballerina stuff, and then there's like adult men in in the basement kind of area. Yeah. Do, doing like choking out and things like that <laughs> which is funny because there's I don't know what is it about Brandon he likes being near the dance studios doesn't he yeah. <laughs> out next door to Kaiser next door is, to a pole dancing studio yeah, yeah which is going from ballerinas to pole dancing like, okay Brandon I see what's up <laughs> yeah and and I had like I think the fact that it was a small gym at the time um and a small crew under Brandon yeah um that's what actually appealed to me like I didn't want to go to like one of the larger established gyms if i could go in somewhere and if it was just starting out and maybe the quality of the other people there wasn't the best then i could help bring it up like i always had that um i like teaching people Mm. um so you know i didn't really care if the people that were training there were good or bad i had no idea walking in Mm. um but when i did walk in there Basically, everyone was already friends with everyone else. They'd come from training in Brandon's garage. Yeah. And so there was like brown, I think there was, yeah, no, there was some purple belts, were now brown belts and things like that, and, and a few blue belts, not many white belts. And so I, I, I fit straight in, basically, became friends with everyone. Mm. Um, and because I think everyone that trains at Kaizen, um, because we're up near the city, you get a lot of um, professionals coming out of the city. Mm. Um, and because I'm a professional from the city as well, I get along with um, with them a bit better than the people I did at the old gym in Rockingham. Yeah. Because of the location down there, you had more people that were a bit more blue collar. Yeah. And I couldn't relate to them day to day on say like tradie stuff. Yeah. Um, Which is like probably what the conversations were like outside of the mats. Yeah. Training and, and yeah. You know, I felt like a little bit of a fish out of water doing IT. Okay. Um, but at the same time, you know, I did get along with those guys and I'm still friends with them now. Mm. Um, the only problem is I haven't been back since I left. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll come down for an open match <laughs> on a Saturday or something like that. But I just haven't had time. Rockingham is just so far. Yeah, and like the only time I get to spend with my missus is on Saturday mornings most of the time. So I just can't jump in the car and go down and do an open mat. Yeah. Um, but I see these guys at the comps now, which is good. I've got to make a similar trek to Port Kennedy. I'm not exactly sure where that is in relation to Rockingham, but I'm pretty confident that it's close it's, to it's it. It's basically Rockingham. Yeah. yeah, I'm meeting up with um, Luke Freeroll. We're going to, you know, Luke Freeroll. Yeah, owns yeah. The, yeah, that business and stuff. So we're going to, he's got a new gym now. I'm going to go down there, train with him, and then we're going to do a podcast. So we've got, we've got to tee it all up. But So I'm going to be heading that way. So I'll be thinking of you. <laughs> drop in at uh, the arena as well if you have time but the, yeah I, I just noticed um, free rollers had opened up a place and they've yeah. got these like mats and it's above also, like the coffee yeah they do I, like coffee brewing or something like that yeah I'm, I haven't don't know too much about it I think Jamil shared Jamil shared that on his Instagram but I think I mean I don't know but I think that the coffee business is his yeah. and then he's obviously put the mat space above it yet to be confirmed so don't don't take my word on that but i think that's what's up yeah okay nice. probably had to like tell the missus see that upstairs area mats are going up there yeah. don't even try <laughs> and tell me anything else is happening up there yeah exactly <laughs> now i think what they're doing with that space um i don't want to like encroach on on luke's forthcoming podcast appearance 
Um, but it, it looked like they're, they're going to do like little mini seminars out of it, yeah. but not actually teach classes, just do like little events. And yeah. Well, I don't think you're in, in, enroaching on anything. He's already put that up on Instagram. Yeah. I, saw, I saw it. So it's, if he's already put that up, then it's out there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, okay. So I was going to ask, so you were, when you were down South, how long were you actually training there, um, before you moved on and came to Kaizen? So it was pretty much four years almost to the month okay. from when I started, um, which, you know, when you start jujitsu and you and you you hear, oh, how long does it take to get your black belt? And most people say on average ten years. Yeah. And then, the fact that it took me four years to get to my blue belt, I was just like, huh, okay, this is gonna probably take a bit longer than I expected. Mm. Um, and I, th- like, probably two years into it, I was like, oh, why aren't I like progressing as quick as what I expect? You know, like, I thought, oh, maybe I get my blue belt in two years. And then I get to two years and I was halfway there. Mm. Um, But I didn't feel like I was ready to be a blue Mm. at two years in anyway. So it it didn't bother me too much. Um, And people that I started with were progressing at the same rate. And it's it's good. I think the arena doesn't promote people too quickly because you get this... You realize that it's a marathon and not a sprint to the black belt. And they did gradings every two months. So if you weren't there on a Friday every two months, you weren't going to get graded. Right. So you don't get a tip or whatever. They won't give it to you outside of that night. Um, and I missed a couple of those. So I'll probably go for four months on the same sort of tip level. Yeah. Um, but they also had like an intermediate belt where you had like a, a white blue. Yeah. So they basically divided up your road to the blue belt um, into things like 10 tips okay. if you include that belt as an interim tip um, and so that will basically if you went to every grading night in a row mm-hmm. and you passed the grading obviously you have sure. like a syllabus that you had to pass um, then within two years you would get your blue right um, if all provided that all goes well yeah if you yeah. get to every single grading night in a row or you don't get injured or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so I missed enough and took holidays enough that it meant that it spread out to about four. Yeah. But I'd say that based on the people that I was around, that was around the average three to four years at the arena. Um, obviously, there were people that were more exceptional um, and they just picked it up quite quickly. They just progressed a lot quicker. Mm. And um, At a point, but I forgot what it was. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, in- it's it's all good. It's interesting how um, it can take you know three, two, three, four years. Like I got my blue belt in fourteen months. Yeah, nice. which is which is quite quick. Like that, that's pretty quick. I uh, I started training. I just moved to Sydney, and I tra- started training about three months later. And I, I didn't know anyone in Sydney outside of my workplace until I got to jiu-jitsu. So then basically my whole network in Sydney was work and jiu-jitsu yep. and that was it. So my like my whole work week was pretty much jiu-jitsu most nights. So obviously I was on the mats a lot. And then, yeah, I just, yeah. It was weird though because I had, I only had one stripe on my white belt. And after the 14 months we had a grading come up, we had... A guy from Melbourne from Leverage Jiu-Jitsu, his name's Phil Grapsis. He's a Pedro Sal, uh, Professor Pedro Sal black belt. And he was sort of overseeing our coach. He's sort of our coach's coach at the time and still is. Um, and he came over to do a grading. 
and I've been training 14 months. I got one stripe on my white belt. I'd been asked to grade, and obviously there was a you know proper test you need to perform and everything like that, and you got to meet the minimum requirements. Phil came in like looks at the belts. He's like, "Why is he grading? He's got one stripe. Stripe him up." I got like three stripes. Yep. Did the test. Never got, never even rolled with <laughs> any more than one. Then the blue belt was on me. And yes, I had a similar feeling. Like I was thinking 14 months, like I'm not, and ex- I don't think I'm exceptionally gifted or anything like that to be like, yeah, I was a blue belt in 14 months. So I felt, I definitely felt like that imposter syndrome. And I think it took me about six months to sort of start to feel comfortable in the belt. Yeah. And yeah, but it's the same thing. Like some people took a lot longer. Like some people took two years, two and a half years. It can take three years. It can take more. Yeah. There's some people that would be white for like six years. Mm. Um, it depends on your motives though like some yeah. people some gyms make you, you have, some gyms you have to pay to grade Yeah. and if you don't want to pay then you're not going to grade then obviously you're going to you're going to sit on your belt for longer that's just how it goes I have a pretty strong opinion about paying for grading like I don't think you should yeah, have no, to pay yeah. to grade um, and <laughs> I don't want to be controversial but yeah I, I feel exactly the same yeah, yeah. and I don't I, th- I think if um, you're not getting graded it's not gonna affect how you progress in jujitsu either. Yeah. The only thing it's gonna end up doing is sandbagging your competitions. Very true. Yeah. And so that only reflects poorly on the people that are your coaches. Basically, if you're going to a competition and just wrecking everyone and you should be in a higher belt level, then that only just reflects on the person that should be promoting you. Yeah. Um. And I mean, if you don't, and if you don't pay for your grading, then fine, you can stay at a white belt and start wrecking higher blues and purples. Yeah, there's it's, there's like there's many ways to look at it because you can look at it from the instructor's perspective. Someone who's, you know, I'm assuming if you're teaching jujitsu, you're trying to make a living out of it as well. Mm-hmm. So that even it though business, yeah. you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it is a business. Yeah. So there's that perspective of it. Um, so you can't forget that. But then also, yeah, like if someone's, yeah, it's sort of got to give money over to get the stripe and then to get the belt. It's a bit weird at least from my perspective. I feel like if you, as you progress, if you get the stripes and you're getting towards your, each belt, like I, I don't feel like you should have to pay for that because I think that's a recognition of milestones. Whether you whether you have to perform a test through each stripe, I guess that defers gym to gym. My gym, well, Kaizen and Hajujitsu don't do that. You, yep. you get rewarded your stripes. It's I think there's a minimum class attendance, but beyond that, it's just, it's all about technical level. And then the coach obviously believing that you're at the level to yep. award you the stripe. And I don't think it goes much further than that. Obviously, attitude as well on the mats, the training partners and all that stuff would be factored in. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd understand if... Because the coach, if the coach is doing a, a grading night and you're giving out, you know, five blue belts, I don't know how much a belt costs, $20, $30 or something like that, you know, you and the coach is paying for that and then giving it away, like that can get expensive. Yeah. So I can understand if you have to pay for the piece of material. Yeah, but I, to, I can agree with that. Just to cover the cost of it, but to pay to grade, I think is a bit much. When yeah. you're already paying membership fees, you're already showing commitment, you're showing loyalty, you're turning up, blood, a lot of the times there's blood, sweat and tears yes. that, are, that are shown. So I feel like it's kind of earned. Well, I think as soon as you start charging for everything um especially when it means that you're progressing through ranks it reminds me of scientology where they have to pay money to get to the next level of scientology and learn the new secret information <laughs> whereas in jiu-jitsu that doesn't happen you can't hide information from your students if they yeah. don't pay for a grading yeah. they're going to learn no matter what happens yeah. and and also people are being held more accountable on um 
they're like the, even as an instructor, their te- the instructor's technical level is being held accountable by the fact that the jujitsu is so widely available online now. Exactly. People, people can buy, you know, obviously you're buying world class, um, you know, like Gordon Ryan and everyone. You're buying their material. And if you start looking at their stuff, I mean, you don't expect your everyday coach to be at that level, yep. but obviously they need to be showing, you know, it's got to be a similar sort of system or whatever, whatever, you know, what you get what I'm saying. So if you start looking at that and then looking at what your coach is doing, they're two completely yeah. different things. And one of them looks like jujitsu and one of them doesn't, then it's kind of like, well, well, you know, what's this gym really about? Yeah. It's, it's, I guess it's really on the coach as well to have continuous learning. Yeah. Um, I mean, cause I do teach one class a week I'm not sure if you want to go into this no I, I, would, I had planned already to ask you about it yeah yeah so basically um, Brandon rang me up this is uh, just as we moved into um, the gym before the one we're in now yeah so we're just getting a bit bigger and things like that and obviously we wanted to add more classes to the timetable um, and so Brandon rings me up and he's just like oh hey Luke do you want to um, teach and I was just like Jesus Christ, I'm like, I'm only blue belt. I didn't think mm. I was up to it. And, um, but I understood, you know, like why Brandon was asking me as well, you know, to help out, make sure you retain more people, you get more classes, you can expand out and train more during the week. And it's also an opportunity if you ever get given it, um, it's a lot better for you jujitsu to learn. Oh, for sure. And it forces me to study um, techniques every week because. I'm basically being held to account. Yeah. I can't just rock up to a class and bullshit my way through, <laughs> which makes me highly anxious sometimes. Um, but it, it's funny because when I first started doing it, I was a bit nervous the first class and I was like, Ooh, you know, like, am I showing the right thing? Are people going to like believe me? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I know the feeling. When I started doing it and then I realized that something that I felt was probably a bit too easy yeah and other people were struggling with it that's when i realized oh okay i actually do know enough to teach yeah um the one thing that i was worried about the most was um people asked me questions that i didn't know the answer to yeah um especially about a technique that i just shown but i could walk around the room especially after doing it a few times and see straight away exactly what people were doing wrong and I could say, oh, you know, put your hand here, grip this, you know, oh, you're not shifting your hips over enough or something like that. And when you give them that tiny adjustment, it's something that they wouldn't know to do. Yeah. But as soon as you sort of um, make that adjustment and you see him go from not really hitting a technique to hitting it perfectly, like, oh, okay, done, you know. They like, get it, yeah. And that, you know, for me at least, you get so much satisfaction from watching that from someone hitting a technique that you showed them, um, it it sort of rivals probably getting submissions in competitions. Yeah. Um, it feels like like the joy you get from it feels like getting a submission, like a hard fought submission. From from teaching and seeing the success of your yeah, the exactly. students that you're helping, yeah, for sure. It's like you're you're living um, their sort of little moment like through them, vicariously yeah. through them. And um, yeah, it, until you do it it's it's uh, you wouldn't really understand, but then, yeah, like just, especially doing it for the whole class. And when they hit it on you as well, like say if you show them a sweep 
and then like a week later you're live rolling and one of those people that you know you didn't know before but then they learned in that class and they hit the sweep on you you're like yes <laughs> like i'm constantly rolling with people and i'm like yes like if i got swept or submitted even i'm like yes you did it something you showed them <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's an interesting one uh we i had a similar experience with teaching as well so our coach went to brazil to do a um Again, Professor Pedro Sal, he did a 10-day camp over there. And he, when he went over, he took, uh, he went with two other purple belts from the gym. And they were the ones that were teaching our right. classes at the time. So a bunch of us blue belts, the basically the whole week, seeing one of the brown belts took all the advanced classes. And then us blues and a couple of purples split the rest of it up. Just for like a sort of two working weeks. Yep. So I had a ex bit of experience with teaching and I definitely felt like anxious it made same thing man i started questioning every technique that i was going to teach i i was like i know it like i did the hip the sit-up sweep yep. and i used to used to be one of my main sweeps from closed guard well it still is um and then yeah i had to teach it in one of the classes and i was like ready to go to class and i was like you know in the few days leading up and i was like shit do i really know it like how if i taught it what would i say yeah. and then you start looking at the sweep you start like are you because you got you got to second guess everything right because then you but then that even though you get anxious then you go to class and you teach it i think we i think we a overlook the fact that there are a lot of people in class who know a lot less than we do so even though even only as a blue belt we're still only beginner belts mm -hmm. you can still offer a lot to people that don't know as much as you like someone with six months of training or three months of training they'll they won't know details you know yeah like end of story they and they won't. don't need to know it either they don't but you as a blue belt can still offer that to them yeah. and they'll see that have that light bulb moment and go oh yeah okay and figure it out but then yeah you obviously with the study and then teaching it and it's one of those things about learning is you can learn it yourself, you can do it yourself, but it really sinks in when you teach it to someone else. Yeah, definitely. So have you noticed your game improving a lot because of the fact that you're teaching? Probably not as much as what I thought it would. Mm. Um, but at the same time, so I've been doing it consistently for 12 months now. So I've had a good year. But, you know, I thought, oh, if I, after doing this for 12 months, I might be like, you know, smashing everyone because I'm teaching. Yeah. But there's no measure to, you know, how much I've improved from 12 months ago. I know I've improved, but how much that's come from teaching, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I'd say my retention of concepts has gotten a lot better. And I wasn't doing conceptual learning until I started teaching. Right. Like, I'd always hear about um, learning concepts, not learning techniques. Kit Dale. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. But He's without actually watching, any, yeah, and then without actually watching any of his stuff, I wouldn't. I didn't really understand what learning concepts meant. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I started teaching where you had to sort of really, um, sort of condense everything down to just like simple things, you know, like because people would say, "Oh, which um part of the sleeve should I grip, or which um part of the collar should I grip, or which slide should I grip?" I'm like, it doesn't really matter. Like as long as you're say turning the shoulders around, then that's all you need to be worried about. And that's like concept learning. And I find that especially in the last six months, I've sort of picked up on concepts more and I'm learning concepts. Especially if I like say ask a question of Brandon in class, in like one of the advanced classes, it's mostly around the concepts as opposed to specific techniques. Mm, that um, makes sense. Yeah, so I think I think that's coming through now. And I, and I find the way I'll learn a technique if I'm going to teach it is I'll watch four or five videos of it online 
Um, and then I'll basically drop anything that I don't feel is consistent amongst them all. Right. So if one video out of those five shows something that the other four don't do, then I won't do that because yeah. it's niche to that person. And sure. I'll take the average of what everyone in, in these videos show and then I'll sort of go, okay, that's that works for five people. So I'm going to do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting, yeah, that's an interesting way to do it because I don't think, Kaizen, so do we have, we have a syllabus, right? And and I know we do we do themes mm-hmm. with teaching, right? So yep. could you want to talk to me about that? Just so, because sure. you're going to shed light Maybe for everyone else who's listening, but I'm mostly thinking about our students who will listen. Yeah. So shed some light if you can on on the themes that you guys go to go through and what it's sort of like how Brandon will convey to you like what you're teaching, and then also um, with the resources that you use. I don't know. I, I'm assuming we don't have an actual video syllabus. It's kind of like you've got to go online and find it. Yeah. So uh, for a specific technique, maybe. When I first it. started, I asked about a syllabus. Um, because when I came from the arena, the syllabus there actually came from Robert Drysdale in Las Vegas. So he was the affiliate. He was the head coach. So that syllabus goes to all the affiliates. It's consistent. Yeah. And when you do your grading, it will say like, do two suites from guard, do this, do that. And you can't repeat the same things between gradings. Right. And so you're really expanding your sort of knowledge of techniques. Um, whereas when I first started teaching, I was... I knew that there wasn't going to be a syllabus, but I was like saying to Brandon, like, let's start one. Mm. Um, so he put together a few slides about what you could teach in a lesson. And um, I would look at those and take ideas from them, but some things I wasn't comfortable teaching because I didn't feel like I could do them proficiently to teach them sure. myself anyway. Um, and then Brandon basically said, you can teach whatever you want. Um, and so I was like, okay, fine. And I began by teaching my best moves and slowly over time those best moves didn't become my best moves anymore and I was and that was one of the things that I got worried about was running out of things to teach right and then I realized oh I haven't done half guard sweeps for two months yeah I'll just do them again yeah and then I did them again yeah and then even people that I knew were in my class learning those same sweeps two months earlier were like basically had forgotten what they were and you know, I show them and they drill it a couple of times and they pick it up a lot quicker than some of the newer students. Yeah. But you realize that they did need to repeat it. Yeah, for sure. You have to recycle. Yeah. yeah. And I, all the things that I get worried about when it comes to coming up with content to teach, I realize now that I didn't have to worry about it. I still do a little bit. Um, but I, as Brandon sort of adding added more on, like more teachers on, so like Christian does the Monday night classes and Aaron does the Wednesday night classes we didn't have any consistency between what we taught so I might have a theme where I'll show um, some side control attacks that you couldn't do everything in one one hour class because you just overwhelm everyone Um, so I would spread it out over two or three weeks sure Um, but that requires the person to come in for three weeks straight and remember everything a week apart and then also have other classes in between that are showing them something completely different so there's no consistency between the classes between the teachers right um but now starting in 2020 we actually just have a rolling um weekly theme for fundamentals 
So like this week, for example, we're doing turtle. Um, so Christian and um, Aaron might show attacks and then I'll show escapes. Yeah. So you get a bit of a um, you know, feeling from the attacking side and then the defensing side, the top and then the bottom. With that, I, I can relate to that. On I, I went to class last night and Christian taught, he was teaching turtle, as you yep. said, um, which is this week's theme. And he's, the focus was in the class, it was, he was showing um, basically how to hold position, how it, how it can be defensive, how to, how to use your elbows to defend them entering hooks, how you can protect your neck. He was showing like, you know, hand on either side or crossing your hands over, like just base, just fundamentals yeah. of the position and how to, how to hold it, how to, how to distribute your weight how to when someone's leaning into you how to how to deal with that mm -hmm. and then we moved on to um uh basically having a little bit of resistance people doing attacks and then you know showing the seat belt how to defend the seat belt like just yeah just moving through the fundamentals of it how yeah. to defend it how to escape how to like basically um get your guard back like how to exit turtle to get to your guard mm -hmm. yeah i think yeah as which I'm coaches, assuming tomorrow Aaron's going to teach and it's probably going to build on that. Yeah, and we, we don't we have we do build on it, but we're not like constantly going. Oh, okay, what specific things did you show? Sure. Um, we have the general theme of turtle, and even if we do overlap on some things, um, and which is something that I was a little bit worried about showing the same technique that someone had already shown that week, but then you realize the way I might teach it, it would be different to the way one of the other guys teaches it and different students will respond differently to different teachers and the way they teach it. Yeah. So Christian might show something on Monday that half the class will pick up and go, oh yeah, nice. And then the other half may not pick up. And if I show the same thing on the Thursday night, it might be the other way around. That other half might go, oh, okay, I get that now. And then the other half of the class probably like, you yeah. know, probably doesn't understand my teaching style. So it's good to get a bit of a mix of everyone, even though it's the same technique. Not to mention, have you know if you come to class a couple of times in the week and then the, the concept of what we're or the theme i should say is the same thing and you get to see it several times exactly it yeah. helps sink that knowledge in especially as a beginner you need to do it three times in a week mm. probably for it to sink in yeah I, I say that i have my my friend rodney from work has recently joined up and we were talking about um how often do you train how often should you train and things like that and i'd be interested to what what your thoughts are on that because i i have my thoughts based on my training mm -hmm. and what's worked for me but i'd like to know yours as well i'd say obviously when you first start you need to have a taste of everything yeah and that's why we're doing a weekly theme now because in brandon's classes the all levels classes the theme will last for a month right where you can like dig into something um for a month yeah whereas deep dive a bit more yeah and you can't do that in the fundamentals class because otherwise you'll have someone that comes in and their only exposure to um jiu-jitsu would be attacking from someone's back <laughs> yeah and they have no idea how to escape a guard yeah exactly. or what guard actually is or what, what you know what any guard is basically and so that's why we're rotating through these these weekly um sort of themes now and i know that's something that we picked up from um lachlan giles as well we asked him how, how do you structure your classes and he goes oh, i'll i'll just sit on a theme for weeks on end yeah, and then you and he might repeat the same class three times in the week. He won't even change anything about it. He'll just do the same class. Yeah, and when I hear him do that, I was like, oh, okay. I don't feel so bad about repeating something now. And um, yeah, I think in terms of consistency, uh, I, f I felt I feel like 
when a lot of people start, um, they dive headfirst into it, which is good as a new hobby, but you can get burnt out really quick. Yeah. You'll go every, every bloody session for a month and then your body gets wrecked. You have no retention on what you learned. Um, I mean, you can pick up a lot, but I think a lot of people also, you know, forget other parts of their life, like their job and their relationships with their like partners and things like that. So, and that's something that happened to me when I first started jujitsu. I got so hooked on it yeah. that um, I actually had to like leave, start leaving work early, and my I didn't know anything about recovery. No one taught me, and so I was waking up really sore, and I was coming to work late having to leave work early and it was really affecting my performance my performance at work sure and and that sort of guilty as sin yeah mate me too i think everyone goes through that (laughs) and i was like thinking at the time i'm like if if my boss gets angry with this i'm gonna just be like ah i choose jujitsu and then like quit my job and then just train and try and work it out somehow yeah and then i realized now in hindsight i'm like if i did that i would be so dumb yeah um because you know like i still love jiu-jitsu but i don't love it that much and especially when you first start you think oh i might become a world champion or something like that but you just you don't know how much you don't know yeah um and especially with relationships like i've, I've seen stories where people will go training every night of the week and then not spend any time with their partner and then their partner ends up like giving them an ultimatum it's like either jiu-jitsu or it's me yeah and then people more often than not will choose jiu-jitsu or they end up having to quit jujitsu so they don't get divorced. Yeah, well, um, I'm not married, so but yeah, I if I was given that ultimatum, I'd be like, all right, see you later then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm lucky that my wife um, came into my life after I'd already started jujitsu, yeah. and I already, and I started jujitsu in a long term relationship, and I could see how it was affecting that, and that relationship was already sort of on the way to being finished anyway, like sure. naturally, um, but when it when it did finish, I suddenly had a shitload of time to go train. And I was like, oh yeah. And then I went to training all the bloody time. And I think that's actually probably how I injured my back from overtraining. Um, but then like, now I understand the balance between going into training and, you know, spending time with your partner and things like that. And so that's one thing, that's one thing I'm sort of grappling with at the moment in that, I know I need to train more to get better, yeah. especially as I'm getting closer to my purple belt now. Um, but I just have to sort of, you know, take it as it comes and, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's what they say. It's it's not who's best, it's who's left. Yeah. And if you do it for long exactly. enough, if you do it for long enough, you will get your black belt, whether it takes eight years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, whatever it is, like it'll, it'll happen. You just, you just yeah. gotta just stay on the mats. Which as something my coach in Sydney used to say, don't get stacked and don't get neck cranked. Yeah. Those are the two things he used to say. I mean, I've recently been neck cranked and it, I almost lost four months of training because wow. of it. So yeah. that shows you like, don't, yeah, you got to look after yourself, tap early, tap often, all those sorts of things, all those cliches. Like they, yep. they're cliches, but they ring true. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say with respect to how often to train, if someone's just starting out, I think you touched on a really good point when you said like just like ease into it. Yeah. I think two days when you very first start, I think two days is good because you can take bite-sized pieces, mm-hmm. you can take your time, you can chew on it a little bit and sort of let it marinate, yeah. think about it and it'll come together a little bit better. But then I, I also think once you sort of get a, 
once you've trained a little bit, you've got a taste for it. Your body gets, your body naturally gets a little bit more conditioned to like the, the pressure of people pressuring you physically. Yeah. Like it, it, your body gets accustomed to it. So at that point, I, I think that um, if you're training, like, and I'm talking, remember, I'm talking from the perspective of a, of a everyday practitioner, mm-hmm. here, not an elite athlete, hobbyist, because yeah. a, a hobbyist for sure. From that perspective, an elite athlete is a whole different thing. Yeah. But from a hobbyist perspective, I think that two day for, for you know genuine progression my view and I could be wrong interested to hear the view of anyone else and yourself included but I think two days should be your minimum I think yep. three days is the sweet spot where if you're an everyday person you have a full time job you might have kids you got to work you got to balance relationships mm-hmm. balance everything look after your body too because you might be 35, 40 you know you might not be 18 you might be older everyday person I think three days is the sweet spot where you can train every week and not kill yourself yep and then you know four days if you can if you can handle it you can handle it five days you know and now we're getting sort of like you're doing it every night and that's where maybe you're having you know, missus might not be keen on that you work yeah. nine to five and then you're at jujitsu from six to eight thirty and your body a might different. be holding up at the beginning but yeah. it'll slowly break down you'll get back injuries and things like that yeah you gotta, if you're gonna do it that much you need to know how to recover so you gotta like do your yoga sure. probably do some strength and conditioning and things like that yeah and i i got told the cliche that you don't need strength for jujitsu which which is true but at the same time when you're i'm now starting to do strength training whereas i never used to do it before and i basically after three weeks of lifting weights i already noticed a difference Mm. on the mats in terms of performance and the only reason i started it was for injury prevention um but i can already see um improvement on the mat against people that i struggle with a bit before like just feel naturally stronger mm. you know on grips and things like that i wouldn't lose grips so easily and things so even though you get told you don't need strength for jiu-jitsu i think you do need to do strength and conditioning i think it's um i think you're doing yourself a disfavor if you don't do weight training i think yeah i mean i can't argue that i just think i think the whole point of that is that um that you're not relying on strength yeah, that's true. Not that you shouldn't yeah. be using strength. It's just that the, you know your technique. It's technique focused. Mm-hmm. Once you've developed technique, then you can then you can add strength to technique. Correct. But yes. obviously, you know the most important things are like technique and timing and things like that, more so than strength. But you, once you know what you're doing, you kind of add it all together, yeah, and that's what makes like, the game complete. You know, they say like proprioception, like understanding how your body moves. Sure. And not just like, you know, if you get swept, you know how to backstep and things like that. Mm. Like backstepping is one of those things that you wouldn't do naturally in the real world like mm. day to day life but you get introduced to it through jujitsu, and that's something that's completely foreign to people and if I say you know do a backstep and I'll show them they you know they still look at you like you're telling them Chinese or something like that it, but after a while they sort of build up the, the, the body feel of it mm. and it becomes second nature to do those things yeah um so yeah, I think just like having that body awareness. Have you ever heard the saying that slow is smooth and smooth yeah. is fast? Smooth is fast, yeah. yeah. I, I'm a firm believer in yeah, starting slow, learning slow, really feeling it that, first. And that's something just, that I see everyone you, doing at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, people like going, coming straight in and fighting? Coming, yeah. They, you know, <laughs> I tell them you go off and do a drill or something like that and they're trying to do it 100% strength, 100% speed. Yeah. And I'm like, stop it, slow down. I'm like, did you see how fast I was teaching it? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, just go at that pace. Yeah. 
I'm like, you don't need to go really fast. I'm like, the other guy's not doing it. They're not resisting you. So why do you have to go so fast? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I always say slow it down and yeah, take out the pauses between everything. You do it once a couple of times and then you try and remove the, the pauses and between the, the chunks of the technique. Yeah, yeah, link it together more seamlessly. Yeah, exactly. And once you don't have a pause anymore, then um, you slowly pick the pace up and then that's when you get your speed. Yeah. Because otherwise you're going rush, pause, thinking about it, rush, pause, thinking about it. And I see a lot of people that will skip important parts like i'll even when i'm teaching it i'll say now you know take note of what i'm doing right now you have to do this otherwise it's not going to be perfect technique sure and then you know i'm trying to reiterate it and then once people go off and start to drill it they'll skip right past it <laughs> and i you know i don't get surprised at it because it's something i used to do yeah um and it's something i'm hyper aware of now which has helped my jujitsu quite a lot i want to ask you Sorry, I'm going to turn the light on. Yeah, yeah. So excuse sure. me for a second. You can keep talking. I want to know, um, you're touching on strength training and stuff. Do you have any particular interest in sort of uh, n- nutrition or and even recovery? You mentioned yoga before, but I'm interested to know what you personally do to, to accompany your jiu-jitsu, if you have anything. Sure. So in terms of nutrition, um, over the seven years of doing jiu-jitsu, I... Like, at first you have no idea what like you're doing in terms of nutrition. You just eat whatever you eat when you first train. Mm. You're not going to change your diet just because you started a sport. Most people don't. Um, and then I actually sort of became aware of how the nutrition was affecting me and, and just through the performance on the mat. Mm. On a Friday night, I might go and have drinks with mates and eat McDonald's. And then come Sunday morning, go to an open mat, feel like absolute crap and not perform at all. And then if I have a clean meal the next Friday night, then the next morning I'd be like hitting everything perfectly and like roll smoothly and things like that. Um, but now I'm becoming sort of aware of, you know, inflammation. So like I won't eat, I won't drink so much dairy. Yeah. Um, because you know it makes your joints inflamed and you know my skin's healthier if I don't have milk. It's those little things like that. And apparently your gut health can affect your mood now. Yeah. Well, it always did, but they're finding out that it affects your mood. Sure. It's so become always, like a popular thing now, eh? Yeah, exactly. What to be considered, yeah. And like, I'll drink a lot of kombucha at home and I have no idea if that's making any difference. I just like the taste. Sure. Um, but, you know, I feel pretty healthy. I feel better now at 33 than I did before I started at 26. Yeah, well, there you go. Healthier. Yeah. yeah. I, it's been similar for me. Same thing with like, you know, just because you pick up a new sport, mm-hmm. you, you're not, um, might not necessarily act on it. Like the whole time I lived in Sydney, I was training and basically the whole time it was like, I'm going to start doing this. Like I'm going to start eating better. Uh-huh. And I was just like talking about it and yep. wasn't doing it. And like, for real, I wasn't like, I, I mean, I was like, you know, but it, I, I was eating better at points, but just no consistency. Yeah. That was the thing. No yeah. consistency. Um, and then like, it's been, it's been more recently sort of, you know, thinking about things like how much it means to me and how, how I want to do this forever and sort of look after, I want to be as fit as I can and in the best condition that I can be in. And I'm not really doing much strength training at the moment. I'm not really into weights mm-hmm. more I do more body weight stuff yep um, but yeah the big thing for me has I, I, I do yoga I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not a yogi I'm not very good mm-hmm. I don't go to like official classes but I do the basic yoga stuff I do a lot of stretching 
and I do a lot of like you've seen my foam roller and yoga mats yep. on the floor right there. I use it. I come home from training, man, and I jump on that for like forty minutes sometimes, and I'll do it every time, twenty minutes even. Especially like glutes, piriformis. Yep. Um, my what do you call it? Um, hip flexors. Hip flexors is the big one for me, man, because I grew up playing AFL, mm-hmm. which so my hamstrings are quite quite good. I have good flexibility in my hamstrings, and even my quads are alright from like a lot of running and stuff. But my footy's kind of like you know up and you know like running is st- sort of straight. Mm-hmm. Um, Jiu is a lot more mobility. So yeah. and hips, hips are I'm finding like hips are so important like even in closed guard um bringing your tucking your pelvis underneath yourself to to keep structure so people can't kill your um posture like when i first discovered that i was like holy shit no one is ever gonna pull me pull me out of my closed guard no that's not true but it's the tiny little tip that makes all the difference yeah Yeah. and i and i so when i started realizing these things i started realizing that it's not the the important things are not big movements the important things are having like that little mobility and that that, you mentioned it before you said about learning how to move your body yeah that's that is what that's all jujitsu is Mm -hmm. really so knowing how to do that and how to improve that is a big thing so i do i even look at uh, Feldenkrais which was something I got off my coach in Sydney John and we would do on Saturday mornings we'd do like a movement class and it would be all just about movements and he'd be thinking about teaching you how um, when your spine moves and you don't move your eyes or your head you you like you can only move so far yeah. and then when you start integrating your eyes moving in line with your spine and then your movement will increase and then when you start rotating your feet as you go and your arms then you get like sort of like developing an understanding of movement and how to move properly Mm -hmm. and so that's something that's been like a big focus for me yeah and i I try and integrate that kind of stuff into my teaching as well especially with hip movement because that's something that i didn't like people would teach me that and Mm. coaches would mention it but i wouldn't really get it it wouldn't sink in like you're trying to do an arm bar or something and you're just not using your hips yeah and as soon as you engage your hips way more than what you probably were doing like especially for hip escapes yeah if you're just trying to push your feet along the ground and not engage your hips at all then you're not going to hit the technique yeah and like it's in the last 18 months like since started since i started teaching that those things where you pick it up from people that are learning for the first time you know all the little crappy things that they're doing sure um and you realize oh that's something that i'm probably doing as well and not even realizing and then I'm probably still at times today doing that. Yeah, exactly. And I've become hyper hyper, um, conscious of it now. Mm. And I'm hitting things a lot better just because the concepts that I'm having to teach in class, I'm sort of taking in now. Yeah. Especially when it comes to hip escapes, you know? Yeah. Something so similar is the first thing you learn, hip escapes. And I used to get stuck under side control so much. And when I realized the proper way to frame and the proper way to hip escape yeah. is like I don't get stuck under side control as much as what I used to I still do under the big guys yeah but yeah it's, it's the simple things like you sort of you do, like a side control escape I used to just try and bench press the person off me and shuffle my butt around on the floor to get away and I'm like oh how are they still keeping me down <laughs> when I realised I'm not bridging into them enough I'm not using proper frames and I was nowhere near enough throwing my hips far enough over or turning them over enough. Yeah. And so you, you have the sort of the ABC, but you don't have the perfect way to do those ABCs. And once you realize 
you know the proper way to do it and that makes all the difference yeah and then the yeah and then that's the thing once you figure out the proper way and you start getting better at that and getting more comfortable with that and then that become that's becomes instinctive yeah so then when you the things that you're thinking about because you don't when you train i in an ideal world you don't think at all your yeah. body just does yeah like you your body just acts mm-hmm. and you don't think that's the that's the perfect thing but if you have the the base fundamental stuff down and that is your instinct and that's the correct instinct mm-hmm. then you only have to think about this the, the minor details yeah exactly and, that, and then that's when you start finding it a lot well at least that's from my experience that's when you find it more effective and i mean obviously i speak from the perspective of being where i'm at now compared yep. to where i was then yeah big difference but obviously you know going up the hill we're only so far and there's a long way to go so i don't mean to sound like i'm preaching from the top oh, looking yeah. down i'm off absolutely not but you understand where i'm coming from yeah as you get better you realize how much you don't know yeah for sure um, for sure and the, i think the most frustrating thing is relearning lessons that you already got taught mm. but it took three years for it to sink in you know that's how it feels like for me like i feel like my four years at white belt i probably i can't remember half the stuff that i got shown it's just instinctual now mm. but i'm learning things now that i knew that i did like three three or four classes on in my first four years mm. but they just didn't stick yeah you know like i took them in and i was hitting hitting it during the drills but if i'm doing an actual role i would n- have no idea what the hell i was doing with it and it's because i just wasn't learning the key concepts behind you know why you do certain movements and, sure. like that. and i think that's you know where the concepts come in yeah I used to think concepts when people talk about it a bit wanky or whatever, but now I'm actually like learning it. It's yeah. Now I understand. Uh, let me ask outside of, um, obviously outside of Brandon being a coach and teaching and you learn mm-hmm. like most of your stuff off him. Where do you usually go for who do you follow or like to learn from if you can online? Like, um, Lachlan Giles. Yeah. yeah. And, it, I, I, and that's only a recent thing. Um, I never used to go online to learn instruction um, because I, I didn't really have anyone to drill it with mm. um, at home, so I didn't really bother. And that's that was to my detriment as well. I just relied on coming to class and doing mat time. Um, so I never really had the in, like the inkling to go online and start learning things um, until I had to start teaching, and then I wanted to confirm what I knew. Sure. So I would go around to all these sources, and Brandon even said, you know, go to Grappler's Guide because it's like an encyclopedia of techniques. In Grappler's Guide... I got it real cheap. It was like 97 bucks and it's a lifetime membership. And you go on there and there's so many technique videos. And sometimes I'll just go in there just to say, just to remind myself and go, oh yeah, you can do that from there or build up a flow. Yeah. Like say if I'm trying to build a structure tool class, I'll want to know, you know, three things that link together. Sure. That's, and yeah, yeah and that's important. I think to learn that way. Yeah. And you don't know that when you're at white <laughs> and even in blue, there's, you don't know how to link certain things. Um, but then, when you sort of see it in the way that they structure on there, I was like, ah, okay. And that's why Brandon recommended it to us. Mm. And so I'll use that to sort of reprompt certain things. I'll pick up little details that I may have forgotten. Um, but there are some things on there where I, I feel like it might be a bit sloppy or I've tried it that way and it doesn't work. Um, so that's when I start branching off and I'll go, okay, um, how does Lockie do that? And then I'll go onto his YouTube channel and, um, and I'll see... You know, I'll, I'll say, you know, like Lock and Giles um, Butterfly Sweep or something like that. 
or Escape from Neon Belly. Yeah. And then I'll watch how he does it. And I'm like, okay, like he's adding in way better details or he just explains it a lot better. Sure. And then I might just, you, I'll just chuck in YouTube Neon Belly Escapes and I'll watch like, um, you know, five or 10, however many videos there are on them. And that's when I sort of, as I was saying before, I sort of start getting them all. I go, okay, this one is the one that they're all showing and one that I think I can teach and that other people will get. Sure. I'm not going to like go in there and, and find something where you see flashy techniques, especially on Instagram, mm. where the person that they're doing it on is just standing there being compliant like a scarecrow. Yeah. And I know that if you're getting any sort of resistance, it probably wouldn't work that well. Sure. Um, so that's, I used to sort of skip fundamentals classes and go to the all levels. Not ever, This is before I was teaching. I wouldn't go to the fundamentals class because I thought it's beneath me now. Mm. Like, oh yeah, I'm getting close to my blue. I don't need to learn the fundamentals um, yeah. anymore. A lot of people are like that. You see a lot of yeah. people, own, they'll only show up to all levels. Yeah, and I, I already see it even in our club. Yeah. There are people that um, would go to the fundamentals and now they've got like one or two tips that you never see them at fundamentals anymore. Yeah. But I've actually reversed. I love the fundamentals now because that's where most of my gains are coming from are from relearning the fundamentals with the knowledge I've got now. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like um, when it comes to online learning, um, the Lucky Giles stuff, he teaches really good fundamentals, yeah. especially for his size as well. He's not a big guy. Um, and so he doesn't use like big guy strength to do yeah. certain techniques. He's got really good flexibility. Um, but a lot of the time I'll see something he does and I'll come in and I'll, you know, pull someone aside. I'm like, I'm just going to try this a couple of times. And if I feel like I can hit it quite easily without ever doing it before, I'm sure I'll integrate it after, you know, drilling it a few times during open mat or something like that. Yeah. And there's like some sweets that I've done, or I'd never done them before. And then I, I practice them during open mats. I'm like, oh, I'm actually hitting this. Um, and then I'll be excited about it. And then I'll take it into one of the fundamentals classes. I'm like, you know, try this. And then I start seeing everyone else hit it. And I'm yeah. like, all right, then that's good. Um, but I like, um, like I bought the, well, Ken Cornelius has his online academy. Sure. Um, and it was free for a month. Um, so I jumped into that. And so I'm watching some of his stuff. And um, John Thomas is another one. He does really good open guard stuff with uh, Del Hiva. Okay. And he's just invented a new guard called Vice Guard. Vice um, Guard? Yeah. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, you look up John Thomas Vice Guard and it's this new thing. comes off, um, you know, collar and sleeve. And that's another thing. Open guard was something I'd never touched because I was crap at it. Anytime I tried to do open guard, um, I'd just get past straight away. Yeah. And it wasn't until the last few months that I realized the importance of grips that I actually, like, my guard retention just went straight through the roof and I play way more open guard now. Yeah. I played half guard for, like, three years. Well, that's all I would do is I would open up, close guard, get into half, and i start sweeping from there. And that's yeah. all I did. Yeah. And I wasn't really good at that either because, like, big guys would flatten me out and i just get stuck there holding lockdown. Yeah. Um, and I did that for two years. Half guard, lockdown, and I'd stay there. And I might sweep and end up on top. Um, but now I'm playing way more open guard because I know how to properly grip. Like if you win the grip battle, then you usually win most of the guard battles as well. And, and my guard retention has gone way up. Um, so now when I'm teaching, I'm like, get your grips first, you know? And if I see people not using grips properly, then I'm like, you know, get your grips and yeah. things like that. Well, 
I, I view, yeah, I, 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 yeah, grips or frames. Yeah. Grips and frames. It's yeah. so important. And that's fundamental stuff. Yeah. Like, but, but yeah, in the moment it could be overlooked. Yeah. And that's the thing, like fundamentals, man. It's, I, I'm a, man, I go to fundamentals all the time. Mm-hmm. I always go to six. Every time I train, I'll do the six and then I'll do the six squat class fundamentals, then all levels. Yeah. Same. I, I just, cause that's just, I don't know. I, I kind of pride myself on having good fundamentals and I know the importance of it. And I know that even with what I know already, there's still so much more. Yeah. Even at a fundamental level. Like you can't overlook that because I tell you what happens. All the cool shit we do, all the cool like, you know, inverting and all that sort of stuff, that all works mm-hmm. and that's all good and that's the fun stuff, right? But as soon as you come up against someone a lot bigger than you yep. or a lot better than you, guess what happens? You end up reverting to your fundamentals because you can't pull off the other stuff against them. Correct. So yeah. if you yeah, that's how I view it. So you get, and I, and then I view it th- through that lens, and then I go, okay, life or death, mm-hmm. life or death on the street, something goes down. What am I going to rely on? I'm going to rely on my fundamentals. Fuck everything else. Yeah, that's well, all I'm going to rely on. It's in on. the name. It's fundamental. Like yeah. it, you know, I made the mistake once of saying <laughs> beginner class, and then I stopped doing that because yeah. it's not for beginners. It's for everyone. Yeah, and um, everything else that you learn just builds on the fundamentals. Sure. And yeah. if you've got holes in your fundamentals, then they're the things you have to fill in first, you know? You, know, you might learn um, some fancy worm guard stuff, but that's not going to help your fundamentals in the rest of your game. And you, the lessons you learn in one position in fundamentals will transition into other positions as well. I, I see that um, when you say holes in fundamentals, I see that in peop- a lot in people who... Um, obviously like contemporary jujitsu today mm-hmm. is a lot of it is like leg, leg locks are a big thing yeah yep. and I find that a lot of white belts who st- it always starts with like um, ashigarami entries like so the single leg X and then the ankle locks and then there's ashigarami and then they start going down like all the leg stuff you know and they get their blue belt and they start playing straight away leg locks that's what they want to know I find people like that if you kill the entries and you pass their guard you melt them yeah and that's because there's holes in their fundamentals. Yeah, exactly. They spend too much time on it. Yeah. Where um, I've... This is just me. And I mean, everyone's different. We all have different interests. And, and I and I understand and appreciate that I came from a gym where like self-defense and fundamentals were key. Mm-hmm. So like, I play a lot of closed guard. Try to. And uh, my perspective is from closed guard. You, you mentioned you open it and go to half guard. Yeah. When I play closed guard, I don't, I don't open my guard unless you open it. Yeah. I'm not opening it unless you open it. But if you're going to open it and I know you're going to open it because I'm losing it, I'll open it first. Yeah. So I'm always, I almost always opening my closed guard on my terms, not on yours. Yeah, you could do Otherwise, I keep terms. it closed yeah. and I don't let you out. Yeah. And then I'm looking to sweep or submit and, and, and string together whatever I can. But it's, I, I sort of like try to develop the fundamentals and then um, I start attaching the leg stuff to it. Yeah. Which is like I sort of, started playing with that now and we've had like Lachlan Giles has come over to a few times to Kaizen and with the um, seminars and things like that you know how you talked about earlier you mentioned teaching techniques that string together yeah. in one class and they yeah. link if you teach something from closed guard and then you teach like a back defense uh-huh. I find that the mem- uh, memory and retention of information retention of techniques it doesn't make as much sense uh, as much sense to people and because you're going from one topic to another mm-hmm. they don't hold on to it correct whereas yeah. When it's when people can see something stringing together and making sense like in a sequ- sequential manner, 
then they like they hold on to that. So I've found even from seminars that I've gone to, Lachlan Giles, perfect example, six hour day on leg locks. My leg lock knowledge prior to that was like not much. Like yep. it, re- it really wasn't. I had a basic outside ashy leg lock. Other than that, like I, I would single leg X sweeps, ankle locks, no no real leg lock game. And I learned heaps in that one day and that was because it was a deep dive yeah. it was like systematic and it was like one two three four five and the whole steps throughout the day everything was building on one another so even when you're moving to the next technique or the next submission or the sweep you're still going back to point one to go to point two to get to point three yeah if that makes sense it was at the end of it it i wouldn't say it's simple but you realize how much it's been chunked up yeah that it could then show someone everything you learned in the space of 10 minutes but they're not going to pick it up into so much detail because they didn't have all the specific training the positional yeah. training my problem now is because i haven't really done much in four months I, 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 yeah i haven't done much in four months so, so now i'm back to fundamentals like yeah. for real i really am i went to class last night i was underneath max's side control then he had my back and it was just like five minutes of just getting fucking bullied by Max. That's, that's a good <laughs> It happens to the best <laughs> of us though. So that's like, um, you know, but he's improved a lot and his wrestling's improved a lot. So that's part of it as well. But um, I, but that goes to show like I want to play with the leg stuff, but I've realized with all of my time off, I need to refresh the things I already know. Yeah. And, and get those back up to speed and then play with, legs, uh, play with the leg stuff. So I like playing um, Ewan. Because he's into that, Simon is into that. So those, those. Gianni. If I want to, if I want to go to uh, learn anything leg lock, I'll. That's the stuff I'll go. Those are the guys I'll look to. Yeah, and that's why I like go like Simon's class. He'll do leg locks. Yeah. Um, and I think, like more generally as well, I see there are certain students that will take their time to learn to do self learning and then come to the gym and drill it with other people, mm. even though they're not being told to do it especially if it's just free rolling time, if they're using that time to actually drill stuff positionally, then they're the ones that get better a lot quicker. Like there are um, some people, fresh blue belts, like Gianni's one of them. He's he spent so much time doing positional training that he'll hit me with like knee bars and heel hooks all the time now. Mm. And then when we start a roll, I'm like, okay, here we go. He's going to get straight into his like leg entanglements and I'm expecting the entries. And then he would just ignore that and go straight past my guard because I wasn't even thinking about him passing. I thought he was going to go straight for my legs. I'm like, shit. Like, so I'm forgetting the fundamentals now because I'm not like, I'm just going, oh yeah, I'm just going to defend the legs for the next five minutes. Yeah. But there's like, oh, I didn't even like put up any frames or something like that. Um, and it's, you know, it's funny to me when that happens and it's sort of like a, it's, it's, it's not an ego check, but it's humbling. You know, you realize, oh, okay, I've got to keep my guard up at all times. Yeah. But I like doing leg lock escapes because it ties the other person out. Yeah. And you're just rolling around and I feel like once you get comfortable defending leg locks, that's when I'm going to start looking for attacks. Yeah. Um, well, that's how it goes though. Yeah. You can have to be able to defend before you can attack. Exactly. Yeah. Because, it's, you know, the position 50-50 is even 50-50. If you're not as good as defending as the other guy, then you're going to lose out every time. Yeah. That's, um, that's been my biggest improvement since I've come to Klaasen in the last year has been... Um, defending leg locks as part of it because I never really played 50-50 before coming here so coming here I learned I was learning new areas of jiu-jitsu learning obviously you can't attack until you can defend so starting to learn the defense but even then um, a defense and escapes 
I would say I still have a long way to go, but some the one thing that I think for my game personally that's gone through the roof is just killing the entries. Yeah. So when I, because I when we when I start a roll, we slap hands, and you're down, and and you're looking for inside leg position. I'm I'm already trying to kill that. Like I don't want that. I I want to play the game I want to play, which is a pretty pretty basic fundamental game. Yeah. I want to I want to I want to pass your guard. Get to side control, get to mount, or get to your back, and yep. I want to choke you or take an arm, like ba- basic jujitsu. That's what I look for. So, but so I'm at just killing the entries. I've I wouldn't say I'm great at it, but that's I've improved a lot yeah. compared to when I first got here. Leg locks and even killing entries, my my knowledge wasn't great at all. I, f- I find that I get lazy. Like I don't kill entries enough. I I see people start setting things up. I'm like, oh, I'm just okay. go with it. Go yeah. with it. <laughs> oh shit, I'm getting swept. You know, right now. Oh wow, I just got uh, uh, like knee bar and I, stuff like why that. Why am I upside down in midair? <laughs> yeah, and I think Brandon hates it too when when he watches me roll sometimes because I'm not assertive enough mm. and I'll just go with the flow and I counter a lot. Yeah, I'm a, a very counter fight and I don't assert my own game. Um, so and then at least into when I should be, you know, passing guard or something like that, I'll let someone get single leg X or whatever and go, oh, okay, I'm going to just strip this off. Oh, wait, now I'm getting swept, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll just happily accept poorer positions. Um, I can escape submissions really well. Yeah. But that's because I'm always getting put into those positions and I probably shouldn't be. Um, so that's something I've got to like train out of myself now. Yeah. As I, when I first started, I was high progressive and everyone's like, oh, chill out, man. You're going too hard and like you're gassing out too yeah. much. And so, and then you, you know the pendulum swings the other way you go from being high progressive when you first start to like being way too chill and accepting bad positions too easily i don't yeah but see that's that's the whole thing on like accepting bad positions knowing how to have frames have defense yeah. how to survive so you have I always rant on professor pedro Sau. that's like uh, i try to base my game off mm-hmm. that at all times and i, I don't think i'll ever def- defer from that I, don't, yeah. I really don't think i ever will but he says he always says you yield to win so it's okay to yield and he goes on about um you can lose the battle but you don't lose the war yeah so it's okay to it's okay to get swept and be underneath side control but you survive first defend find your frames things like that you don't have to force the escape yeah. you wait you wait for the right time when they move then you go yeah i find so you're that not, when you're on the bottom you're not trying to fight your way out yeah you're not well i you know that's the I, sometimes i probably am but my in my mind i'm not trying to do that I'm always wait waiting for time. holes. Yeah, it's all about timing. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, like, I'll happily sit under pressure for ages and just wait for that moment. Um, but then you'll have, you know, Brandon will be like, Luke, you know, you got to get out, <laughs> stand up, right, get on top. I'm like, fuck, you know, like, I got to think about sweets. Oh. And then when I get put under pressure, that's when I start getting the mind blanks. That's one thing I struggle with is getting techniques in the moment. Yeah. I don't know how you deal with that, but I. Like sometimes if someone's there and I'm like, I know I should be able to sweep from here, but I just don't know which one to hit. I don't know, like... Your selection. Yeah, the selection. I don't know how to, you know, pick one thing. Um, And I think that's what I'm getting a bit better at is just having one or two positions, one or two things to hit from each position and just Mm. focus on that. I think think that the selection thing, um, from my perspective, is not like I have two moves and I'm going to pick one. It's it's a like a you feel which way they are trying to go, yeah. and if they want to go that way, you let them go that way. You don't fight them and try and sweep them the opposite way. Yeah. If all their weights on one side, that's the way we're going. You see Danaher, but you need to have you need to have that, that sweep or that. Yeah, you have because that's the whole thing with leverage, right? Yeah. 
What are you going to do? Is pick them up if they're on your right hand side. Pick them up and then throw them over to your left. Yeah. Not really. And it's like, well, it's like, is your opponent on their toes or on their heels? You know, if they're on their heels, then you're sweeping them backwards. If they're on their toes, then you're pulling them forwards, mm. and that kind of stuff. It's it's simple things like that. And you know, I avoided Instagram for a long time, um, but I've only just recently signed up to it on purpose, just to follow other jujitsu people and see what they're doing. You know, techniques. Mm. But it's especially with Danaher, it's the little tidbits he writes every day, um, and it's just a concept about you know kazushi or something you know off balancing your opponent and even for me now i'll read it and i already knew it but the way he articulates it and just condenses it into a small little package you're like oh i can mm. just have that running through my head during a roll and that's all you need sometimes it's just having those little concepts of you know i'm going to off balance in this way you know don't try and fight their force if someone's trying to pull your arm you sort of go with it sometimes and and then take them further yeah using the force against them that kind of stuff or yeah or even the other way is if you if you want to take them backwards you can pull them forwards a yeah. little bit like so if i want your, your hand away I, i'll pull your hand towards me knowing you're instinctively going to resist that so when you start resisting then i'll push yeah and sometimes i find with a role it's not that easy like um you like i struggle with people that have really good um base in mm. open guard like so say if I'm on my back and they're standing if they've got if it feels like their trees are sunk into the ground like tree roots then I have a real hard time balance, off balancing them but that just comes from a lack of um, doing situational training really mm. like if I'm only practicing during rolls I'm probably not going to get effective learning from it yeah yeah situational training is important I, I need to do more of that but I think we do I think Kaizen does a good job of that because we'll have obviously uh, not really fundamentals is more techniques and then a little bit of resistance but all yeah. level all levels is where it's real you know how we all line up on the wall we'll do a move we'll drill the move add resistance to the move and then we'll line up and then it will be sort of situational yeah I, I think that's a that's definitely a, a conducive way it's conducive it's to learning it, yeah. yeah yeah. I just need to structure it um, because I'm at the point now where I'm teaching not teaching myself but I'm in control of my own learning so i'm deciding what i get better at sure and sometimes we might have a theme of a month that is the complete opposite of what i'm wanting to get better at myself so i need to uh you know take a training partner and create my own situational drilling um and not just accept the roll and go oh i'm just going to roll for the next five minutes and, and try and hit that position and it may never get there so i don't don't have a chance to to use it yeah the technique i'm trying to learn so i have to just sort of take control of my own learning and build my own situational drilling basically yeah. and it's easy like it's easy enough you grab anyone and they'll yeah. be they'll be into it especially if you know if someone who doesn't know the move they they get to learn Practice it, too. it as well yeah, they'll get yeah. yeah that's a good way to do it we're just over an hour in nice what do you reckon mate have you got anything else you want to add or say I was thinking about this before and I'm like, oh, what's what's the takeaway that I can give everyone to, you know, learn, but it's completely gone. Um, I'd say just have fun, you know, don't don't burn out on it. Oh, that, that now I remember a concept now. Um, one thing I learned was to not compare my progress to other people mm. and to compare my progress to how I was yesterday. How, how am I better than I was last time? You know, mm. that continuous 1% improvement um, I used to struggle with that. I would start, I started jujitsu around other people. Like there's one guy, 
Darren Palmer down at the arena. He was a two-strip white belt when I started, and he's now a brown belt killing it in comps, and I'm still hanging out at blue. Mm. And and I'm like, how does someone like that just go through really quickly? Obviously, training a bit more, but you know, he just sees a technique, and he can drill it perfectly after we watched it once. You know, and then you just get people like that, and then me, I might have to drill it about ten or fifteen times to actually get to that proficiency. Um, and there's nothing I can do about that. So if I measure my progress to how I was at my last um, at my last class or my last training session, then I'm only getting better, and that's all I have to worry about. Mm. That's a big thing. That's that's really good because a lot of people have um, you know they feel like they're not progressing, and then they get stale and you know mentally as well as mm-hmm. with their jujitsu, and then they and then they quit. Yeah, and that happens a lot at blue belt. I think. Well, they talk about the blue belt blues, right? Well, they all they're thinking about is getting their blue and then once they get it it's like oh okay yeah you know there's more to this mountain it's like they're trying to climb to the peak and they get to the peak of the mountain and then the clouds clear away and they realize there's way more mountain to go you know <laughs> you're only at the bottom yeah and then you kind First of resetting level. again yeah yeah so yeah no that's a good th- that's a um good way to be not just in jujitsu uh, but in life yeah as well exactly yeah. just continual improvement and when you do get your blue belt you are going to get tapped by white belts still like i still get tapped by white belts mm. and you get worried at first when you get your blue like oh no i'm going to get tapped by white belts and look stupid but then at the end of the day you don't really care yeah. it's going to happen you know you're going to get caught that's a weird one hey because that's all ego like yeah, exactly. when you think about it you know if we've got 100 people in our gym and let's just say there's 30 there's 30 white belts and then you get promoted tomorrow now there's 29 white belts and one more blue belt yeah <laughs> You're still rolling with the same white belts that yeah, you were yesterday. Right right. Well. That piece of cloth isn't making a difference. Yeah. It does to to them mentally. Like the other white belts, some of them will go, "Ah, oh, new fresh blue belt. I'm gonna like try and beat them to prove that I can now be a blue belt as well." And that does happen. Um, but I, I find that in the gym training, you're learning your techniques. You're not trying to win. Um, yeah, you are trying to win positionally, but find that um you know you're supposed to like get submitted to learn mm. like yeah. a, a failure is a learning um uh, a failure is a learning opportunity basically yeah and the biggest jumps in my growth have come every time i've um competed and i'll compete and lose a lot i've lost more than i've won yeah um but so have i actually yeah and i've just taken away big massive lessons from that because sometimes it points it points out where some of your holes are, so then you leave there knowing where to look. Exactly, like yeah. what to you know what to drill. It's the ultimate test. Very true. Uh, I was going to say, my takeaway on that is like uh, getting submitted and stuff. Just like keep it playful. Yeah, that's that's all it is. Exactly, keep it playful. We're not trying to fight each other in the gym on a Wednesday night at six p.m. when we're both going home, like yeah. at seven. Keep it playful. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll do it again. Indeed. (laughs) All right, Luke. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Um, I don't know. You're on Instagram. I am now. Something I want to do here, if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, and I'm gonna get people on, and some of the people I get on are gonna have followers, and they might want Uh, followers. So, do you want to share your link if it's an interest to you? Uh, Hopefully, I'm getting it right. But it's LDA BJJ87 at Instagram, and um, I've got one post up there, um, which is me with Mr. Joshua Hinger at a seminar recently. So. Um, I don't post too much, but I feel like the content I'm going to put on there, if it's going to be on there, it means something. So. Okay. Well, 
Give maybe me a follow. I'll follow it, you back. Follow it, for a follow. <laughs> FF. <laughs> maybe then we'll take a photo of this. You can put that up. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks very much, Luke. I appreciate it. To everyone at home, if you if you enjoyed this, uh, please, uh, up to you. If you want to subscribe and, and keep up to when the releases come through, then I'd appreciate that. I do have a closed Facebook group. I'm open to making a page if people want to follow it, but I'm more, uh, I have more of an interest in at this stage, having a closed Facebook group for people who are engaged and want to be engaged and want to listen to the podcast. Um, I'll, I'll share the link when, when I put out the first episode. And I think what I'm trying to do in the group is um, basically get guests on, people who want to into the group and get people who want to follow the podcast into the group. And then what I'll do moving forwards from there is when I have a guest on, I'll announce who that guest is that I'm about to record with leading up to it and then give everyone the opportunity to potentially ask us uh, a question or something that they want me to ask that person so or even a topic or a subject that we can talk about. And it might be, you know, every guest, it's going to be a different thing. And, you know, people are going to have different interests in what they want to ask them. So I'll give everyone the opportunity to be basically help direct the direction of the podcast before it occurs. I think that'd be an interesting way to do it. So we'll see. But anyway, thank you very much, everyone. Appreciate your time. Luke, thanks for coming out, mate. Thanks, Brad.